0: second reading tonight is from the same Gospel, John, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to his Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord,' Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you can have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed, For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. When I was in high school, I knew Jim Baker, the uh, former television evangelist. I knew him when he had come to CBN just a couple of years after he and Tammy got there. He went to prison for mail fraud, for bank fraud, and for conspiracy. When I used to think of Jim Baker, I used to think of the kids show they did for CBN. It was dumb in my opinion, but the kids loved it. I used to think of Tammy and the lipstick and the big hair. I used to think about Tammy. She loved the song The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power and all of the people in the control room whenever she sang it once they said just keep replaying it because she'll sing it over and over and over again. I remember when Jim and Tammy left CBN they went down to Charlotte and started their own network. There were no compete clauses or non-compete clauses but they did that and I thought it was interesting. Their first benefactor was Pat Robertson. Their second... With CBN Network. I remember a lot of times with Jim Baker, but today whenever I think of him, I think of one day October 4th, 1988, the day he was arrested. Do you remember seeing that on television? If you have a few years on you, you might have. I'll never forget it, the Charlotte police came to the office, they went in and they found him under his desk crying. And when they brought him out, he was in handcuffs, but the handcuffs were obscured because his suit coat was over top of his hands and he looked like a broken man. Remember, one of the officers put his hand on his head and shoved him into the back seat. A few years ago, my, a friend of mine, Steve Brown, who has a radio program, was interviewing Jim Baker, and during that interview, he told him a story about that day, the day of his arrest, that Jim Baker had never heard. Brown said, I was speaking for a national convention of religious broadcasters when the news came that he had been arrested. He said I was getting ready to speak and a man came up to me the president of the organization and said Steve I've just watched television Jim Baker has just been arrested and taken away Now of the thousands that were there most of them in their ministries were hurt by the scandal of Jim Baker They had lost money Many had been dropped from their respective stations Their reputations had been besmirched. To be a televangelist was right there next to a pawnbroker. And so right before Steve gets up to speak, he hears the news, and the guy says, I just saw Jim Baker being taken away. I think we ought to ask people to pray. Brown said, okay, I'll ask. And so he gets up and he announces the news that Jim Baker's just been taken away, and he asks if there's anyone there who would be willing to lead in prayer. He says, I was stunned. Every single person got up out of their seats, knelt next to their chair, and began to pray that the Lord would uphold and bless and forgive and enable their brother, Jim, to get through his ordeal. And years later, when Steve Brown's telling Jim Baker that story, it's on the radio, Baker sobs. He breaks down. Now, that's not good radio. So Steve said to him, Jim, what are you feeling now? And through sobs, Jim said, I feel loved, forgiven, forgiven. And free. Did you hear about the beautiful young woman who was driving a red sports car? She was driving into the parking lot and she saw a space that was available but she knew that this older woman in a red and a blue Mercedes was waiting for the space but she just zipped right by and took it. She gets out of her car and she shouts to the elderly woman, that's what it means to be young and quick. The older woman nods, puts it in drive, and guns it. Her blue Mercedes goes into the back seat of that little red sports car. She puts it in reverse, does it again. The, the young woman's standing with her mouth, up, I can't believe this. And the older woman, when she's finished, rolls down her window and says, that's what it means to be old and rich. <laughs> now think about that. That's exactly what Jim Baker meant. All of a sudden, no more masks. He doesn't have to pretend anymore. He is completely secure in his identity. And Jim Baker can be free and real for the first time in his life. This evening, I want you to come with me to two separate dinner parties. John 12, John 13. And I want you to meet at the first dinner party a woman who is entirely free. Think of her. John says she walks into the house filled with men who are reclining at the table. Whose house is it? Simon the leper. The former leper. Jesus had healed him. Some think that Mary is related to him, but we don't know. But she comes into that dinner party with a flask of ointment that weighs a pound. It may be oil. It's certainly something that is pourable. Now, for every Hebrew, there are four rites of passage that are celebrated and commemorated within not only the family, but the whole community. First is birth. Second is the rite of passage into adulthood. Third is marriage. And the fourth is death. And if you've died, you don't celebrate it. But everybody else does. So think of this lady, this woman Mary. She's been born, she's experienced her rite of passage bat mitzvah. Her next rite of passage is marriage. In fact, That pound of precious oil or ointment, that was being saved for her marriage. It was a dowry. It was called the bride's price. With every bride would come a dowry that would go from her father's household to the father of the groom's household. And so when Mary kneels and breaks it open and begins to pour it on his head and onto his feet she's not just surrendering her treasure. She's surrendering all of her hopes, all of her dreams, all of her desires to be married. And when Judas protests, saying it's extravagant, Jesus tells him to shut up, to leave her alone, For what she has done will be told everywhere the gospel is proclaimed. Now, why would that be? Because what Mary does is a perfect foreshadowing of what Jesus does on the cross. She humbles herself. She endures the shame. She pours out her treasure. She pours out her future. In fact, she commits her entire self to the head and the hands and the feet of her master. And when she's done pouring, the Bible says the last thing she does is she reveals her glory. Mark and John both tell us she undoes her hair which is in the opinion of the Hebrews a woman's greatest glory she undoes her hair and she takes her glory and ra- and wipes his feet Now in ancient Israel there's only one kind of person who was anointed with oil wasn't the priest wasn't a prophet Only kings were anointed with oil. And notice what this king says about what she does. He calls it a beautiful thing. There's only one time in all of the Gospels where Jesus uses that word beautiful. Why does he call it beautiful? Because what she does is a perfect portrait of what he is about to do. He will humble himself, and he will break open something far more precious, something far more satisfying than oil. He will break open his own body and shed his own blood. And when he surrenders his glory, his glory is greater than his hair. His glory is all of his being. A holy God laying himself down to meet the demands of a holy God. You see, everything Mary does at that table is a picture of what Jesus will do. All of the love, all the forgiveness, all the freedom that we need is found in what Mary acts out and what Jesus does. And for most Christians, that's as far as we go with the story. For most Christians, what Jesus does on the cross is enough for them. But you know something, it's not enough for Jesus. It's not enough for John. For John tells us about two dinner parties. Not just the one in chapter 12 to prepare Jesus for his death. But the dinner party in chapter 13 to prepare every disciple for our life. Three hundred years ago, off the coast of Ireland, Archbishop Usher was shipwrecked. All the people on the ship died but him. He was able to swim ashore, no luggage, no provisions, nothing, and so he takes off across the field, he comes to a house, and knocks on the door. Inside that little house is an Irish clergyman. He hears the Archbishop's story and he's skeptical. So he says to him, if you are an archbishop, tell me how many commandments are there in the Bible? The archbishop says, eleven. Aha! You're a fraud. You're no archbishop. There are ten commandments in the Scriptures. And with that, archbishop Usher reaches for the man's Bible and turns to John chapter 13, verse 34, and he reads, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, I give you an example. What I am doing here at this table is a foreshadowing of everything I'll do on the cross. We've studied this before. He lays aside his outer garments. The same word, laying down himself. It's used when the gospel describes what he does on the cross. We've studied that. He takes a towel and wraps it around his waist. We've studied that and all its meaning. He pours water into the basin. We've studied that. He kneels and washes their feet. We've studied that. Everything he does at the table foreshadows what he'll do on the cross. We've studied all of that. But one thing we haven't studied a lot is the fact that just like Mary, when Jesus kneels down at that table, it is a foreshadowing of what he calls every one of us, every disciple, to do. That includes you. That includes me. Think of it. He calls us to watch each other's feet. You say, what does that mean? That means exactly what those religious broadcasters did the day Jim Baker was arrested. It means that they are willing to wash their brother in Christ, their sister in Christ, with all of the love, all of the forgiveness, all of the freedom that they need. That's what it means. Years ago in Miami, I knew a man named Rusty Anderson. He was in ministry, and he had a granddaughter, and he was asked to babysit her. And so he began to babysit her, and the little girl did something wrong, and he said, honey, we don't do that. Little girl stopped what she was doing, looked up at him, and said, sorry, granddaddy. Two minutes later, she's doing it again. He said, honey, I told you, we don't do those kinds of things. She looks up at him and says, I'm sorry, granddaddy. About a minute later, she does it again. By this time, he's ticked. He said, I've told you twice, we don't do those kinds of things. She looks at him and said, I'm sorry, granddaddy. He says to her, sorry's not enough. And at that moment, he hears the Lord said, that's funny, it was enough for me. By washing each other's feet, what Jesus is saying to us is, you are profound sinners. You are infested with sin in your walk. You have a profound need for forgiveness. In fact, we are so feeble that every one of us in this room, if we took our mask off, we all would see for ourselves how habitually soiled we are. What we need on a regular basis is for our feet to be washed. What we need on a regular basis is to know the forgiveness of others' brothers and sisters in Christ. According to Jesus, we are the ones to do that for each other. Now think of it. When Jesus gets to Peter, he makes the point, it's my blood that saves you, Peter, but it's my word that washes you and my people who free you by washing you with the water of forgiveness. Have you ever seen somebody do that for somebody? Have you ever seen anyone profoundly forgive someone? Like Jim Baker was forgiven, and he found out about it years later. I would argue that that's the most beautiful sight in the world. Have you ever had that experience in the body of Christ? To be so full of guilt, so full of shame, not just because of what you've done, but because you've done it again and again and again. And then to be in the presence of someone who hears all of your dirt, and looks at you with tears and says, I know what that's like. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. It's a lot like a story I read recently of a little elementary school boy. His name was Billy, and he was working at his desk, working on some paper, went to his horror, he looked down on the floor and he saw a spreading puddle at his feet. When he realizes what's happened, he's horrified. He's humiliated. And the worst part is the teacher's on her way down toward his desk. And he doesn't know what to do. He knows there's no way to hide the puddle. There's no way he can change it. He is dying inside. The worst part, he knows what his friends and the people that don't like him in that class are going to do when they see what's happened. And as the teacher makes her way down his row, a little girl named Sally, who's carrying a fishbowl full of water, gets right next to him and slips and pours it all over Billy onto the floor. Suddenly, everybody in the room, including the teacher, jumps in to clean it up. Now they think it's one mess. Billy knows it's two. Billy knows Sally saved him. The water washes away all his shame. Later that day at the bus stop, Billy whispers to Sally, you did that on purpose, didn't you? She nods and said, yeah, I did. Billy said, why did you do that? Sally said, because it happened to me once. And if you happened to be driving by that bus stop, you would have seen a little boy and little girl holding hands and it might have made you smile, even though you didn't know the whole story. That's what it means to wash each other's feet. That's the meaning of the 11th commandment. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the forgotten side of communion. Because the communion that Christ offers to us on the cross is a communion of his body and blood. But don't forget the communion of the water. And the commandment he gives that we should forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Now we may never forget we may sometimes forget it. But we should always remind each other of it. Because that's where all the joy is. That's where all the power is. That's where all the freedom is, in living free in Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the full extent of the gospel. I want us to think about that as we serve each other tonight, the elements the bread and the juice.